the great hymn writer, John Newton, the, the writer of so many great hymns in our own hymn book, uh, Amazing Grace, one of them, once said in a meeting of the Eclectic Society in 1799 that Paul was a reed in non-essentials. You know what a reed is, right? Uh, and yet he was a, an iron pillar in essentials. And I think this is something about today's passage, today's uh, text, where we are exhort, exhorted to be firm and to be inflexible in matters evolve, involving clearly revealed biblical truths, biblical principles, doctrines of Scripture. We are to be steadfast, to not give a single inch. While, on, this, on the other hand, this passage seems to encourage us to be tolerant, to be pliable in some sense with regard to secondary or doubtful matters, especially when this manifests Christian love and results in the progress of the gospel of Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. As I start by saying these things, this is not me uh, saying that we are supposed or we are encouraged by this text to be inconsistent. Quite the contrary. We are being encouraged to be firm and committed to those truths and doctrines that are ours and clearly stated in Scripture. This is an exhortation for us to be wise, for us to be prudent, for the sake of furthering God's kingdom in this world. And, th and this is what this passage speaks about this morning. Well, it speaks about more things, and we'll look at it, but this, for me, is the main point of focus this morning. While Paul is recruiting uh, uh, Timothy, he circumcises him. Let me just give you a, a little bit of context, because maybe you don't remember where we're coming from. Let me give you the broad context of the book of Acts. All the way when we started, I told you that I don't like the, fa uh, the fact that some people call this book uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm not sure if my, my Bible does say the Acts of the Apostles. But I said, uh, if you remember, that I, I think it's a slightly misleading title. It is not an inspired title. You can call this book whatever you want. It's not inspired, the title. It's tradition. But I think it's slightly misleading to call this book the Acts of the Apostles because uh, the Apostles' life is not really the great main focus of, of every event of, of this book. I suggested all the way back when we started that this book should be called, or we should consider this book, as the Acts of the Risen Christ. It starts with the Risen Christ ascending and giving instructions to the church, to the disciples, to the apostles, of how the, the gospel and the kingdom was to go forward. They were to wait in Jerusalem for the power that was coming from on high, Jesus told them. And they were then to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And in fact, this, if this book is about the apostles, if this is the Acts of the Apostles, it only talks about two apostles, in, at length, Peter and Paul. But what we see in this book from beginning to end, in Acts 28, 
is the enactment of this great plan of, of redemption, of this agenda given by Christ, the King, saying that it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And that's what we're seeing. And as we're coming to Acts 16, we're in full uh, force of going into this, uh, or to this ends of the world stage of the, the gospel going out. Paul's missionary journeys into Gentilic lands, into non-Jewish regions, is the gospel of the risen Christ going, into the ends, going to the ends of the world. And when we stopped last year, again, let me give you, this is the context that I want to more narrow in. When we stopped last year around May, we were looking at the end of the first missionary journey of Paul, Acts 15, uh, and we were looking at the backdrop, backdrop of the second missionary journey. So from verses uh, 36 to verse uh, 41 of Acts 15, we saw how there was a, a big uh, division among both Paul and Barnabas. They, they couldn't agree. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on this secondary mission uh, journey, but he proposed that, but Paul was having none of it because he, uh, John Mark had abandoned them in the first missionary journey. So he didn't want John Mark to join in. And there was a huge and, and big and, and sharp disagreement between them both, so much so that they ended up separating. The disagreement became so, furious, so serious that they separated and if you remember, I'm sure you don't, I try to remind you that despite human disagreements, God's work still goes forward. Even in church divisions and even in strife, God overrules the folly and our sin to promote his work. And yes, this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was serious and sad and, and regrettable, but God accomplished from it the that now two teams were working. Barnabas went with John Mark to Cyprus and seemed to have spent the rest of his life there, ministering to the church and the saints there. And Paul went on to recruit Silas and to go on this secondary missionary journey that we now see in Acts 16 beginning. And if you remember, let me just take a step back to the beginning of, the, of, the chapter, of chapter 15, there was this conflict about circumcision where Paul was very strong that salvation was not dependent on circumcision. And now at the beginning of Acts 16, he seems to have backtracked. He seems inconsistent. He seems like he, he, he doesn't, he's not being uh, coherent with himself. He just had a huge discussion. A council was called to, the, to debate this and to arrive at a decision. And yet he now circumcises Timothy. We'll look at it in a moment or two. But today I want to look in, uh, at this passage in three uh, sections. First, the arrival of the second missionary journey of Paul and Silas at, in Asia Minor, in Galatia. And the calling of Timothy. Secondly, I want to see the circumcision of Timothy. And thirdly, I want to see the results of this uh, first stage of the second uh, missionary journey. 
So first the arrival at Asia Minor and the calling of Tim Timothy. One of the things that we see from, from Paul's life is that Paul was very much uh, reliant on cooperation. Even though he was a, a very smart uh, individual, even though he had uh, all uh, many tools and many things that going for himself alone, very rarely you see Paul acting alone. You see Paul uh, going about doing things in his own accord and in a solo kind of way. This again should teach us that even if the Apostle Paul did not want, was, was unwilling to do things alone, how much more us, if the great Apostle Paul needed help. And as he gets to, to Asia Minor, he recruits uh, Timothy. He had already recruited uh, Silas, and now he goes on to recruit Timothy. He needs good helpers. Those that are willing to serve alongside them in this missionary work. In these two first verses, we see that Luke highlights this recruitment. It's one of the best well-known associates of Paul, Timothy. Timothy, who later on received two letters from Paul that became uh, a part of our New Testament, First and Second Timothy. Timothy, who served alongside Paul and, and, and in other capacities, uh, churches in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, even the church at Philippi. We learn that he was a, a young man living whether, either in Derby or Lystra. But more importantly, uh, well, we learn as well that he was a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed but his father was Greek. And we learn that he was, more importantly, that he was of good reputation among the brethren at Lystra and Iconium. He was of good reputation there. And, and, and let me just emphasize that Luke really puts a premium on, on this calling of Timothy. He, he says, behold and behold, a mark of emphasis uh, in, in writing. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. He is putting an emphasis here uh, of this first stage when Paul is in, in modern day Turkey doing his ministry. This is the only thing or almost the only thing that he records. Nothing else is said about this first stage, but that Timothy was recruited and this text does give us some, interesting, some more interesting information about Timothy. We learn that he lived in, in Derby or, or Lystra, perhaps Lystra. We learn that he, is, uh, that he was already converted when Paul arrives there in, the, in this second missionary journey. So he was perhaps converted alongside his mother, and his grandmother, Lois, uh, his mother Eunice, and his grandmother Lois in the first missionary journey. He was probably there when Paul was stoned at Lystra. He was probably one of the disciples that rescued Paul. 
It was probably one that was present when Paul was coming back to Lystra and Derby and Iconium and, and was ministering to them and strengthening the disciples, saying to them that through many tribulations one must enter the kingdom of God. Probably Timothy was witness to all of this. Paul, in later letters to the Corinthians and to the Thessalonians, he refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. as his son in the faith. But what we learn as well is that Timothy was not circumcised. Although he was a son of a Jewish woman, his father was Greek and he was not circumcised. And although mixed marriages were, were unlawful in, in, uh, in Jewish law, they were not uncommon. Secondary sources tell us that it was very common for Greek-speaking uh, Jews at, at, at this time to marry uh, outside of the Jewish faith and outside of the Jewish ethnicity. But what we know is that Jewish children of Jewish mothers were considered to be Jews. So why is it that he was not circumcised is, is a, a mystery to us, but, he, but indeed he is uncircumcised. Timothy was a believer. He did not need to be circumcised. He was saved. But then in verse 3 we read this. We read from that Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. In spite of all of Timothy's qualities. In spite of all that he had going for him. His recruitment to the missionary work was going to bring him into conflict with Jewish, uh, with Jewish unbelievers and with Jewish believers in the, in the region. So Paul felt it was expedient to him, even though he had just went through this um, uh, discussion about the, uh, this conflict about circumcision, he felt expedient for Timothy to be circumcised, to arrange for his circumcision. It is likely that Timothy's ordination into this role of an evangelist uh, working under the authority of Paul was at the same time of his laying of hands and his, his circumcision happened all in the same period. And some people find it difficult, difficult to reconcile why Paul was, uh, was able to be so firm in chapter 15 and here he seems to be contradicting himself. Some people find it hard to reconcile this attitude. Why was he so vehemently opposed to the demand for circumcision on the first missionary trip? And now he seems so happy to give it and to, to recommend it to, for Timothy. The answer is that the motivations and the circumstances were completely different. In chapter 15, the church there was, uh, or the Judaizers, were, were, being, were saying that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. That if you wanted to belong to the kingdom, if you wanted to belong to the people of God, you needed to be circumcised. It was a condition of salvation. But that's not the case here. Timothy was saved. Paul was not circumcising him uh, in order to bring him into the fold. He was already of the fold. Paul was circumcising him 
because his status with Judaism and within Jewish belief or Jewish practice was irregular. He was a Jew, but he had not received the seal, the seal of circumcision. So in such in in a in a way you could say that just as Gentiles did not need to become Jewish to, to be circumcised to be saved, so Jews did not need to become Gentiles to follow Christ. But I think the main reason, however, for Paul recommending the the circumcision of Timothy was in order to facilitate the promotion and the, 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 the preaching of the gospel among the Jews. You know from, uh, from the, the previous chapters that Paul was very much interested uh, or was very much his modus operandi uh, as he got into a new city was first to go to the Jewish synagogue. He went first to the Jewish synagogue and when, when the, the Jewish believers at the synagogue threw him out, then he went into the marketplace to the city center and he would preach to the Gentiles. But this was his modus operandi. He would first go to the Jews wherever he went and then he would go to the Greek, first to the Jew, then to the Greek, as he says to Romans. And for Timothy to be accompanying him without the mark of circumcision, when everyone in the region knew of his father being a, a Greek and the fact that he was not circumcised would be a hindrance to the gospel work. For the apostle, circumcision was a matter that is known, let me tell you the, the technical term, a, a matter that was adiaphora. That's what it's called. These matters that are uh, not morally or spiritual, uh, spiritually uh, relevant. They are morally and spiritually indifferent for the practice of the faith. They are called adiaphora matters, matters of secondary nature, matters that, that good Christians can disagree on and still hold fellowship together. Whether to be uh, circumcised or not is an adiaphora uh, uh, matter as long as you're not using it as a condition of salvation, because then salvation is not an adiaphora matter. It is a primary matter. So it was one thing to require circumcision of Gentiles. It was quite a different thing to, require the, to circumcise Timothy, who had Jewish ancestry, for the sake of the Jews. That is, in order to facilitate the preaching of the gospel to the unbelieving Jews in the region. This was not a religious ceremony or exercise. This was a plain and simply a move made out of love for the lost in that region in order to open doors or rather not closing them to the preaching of the gospel. So Timothy was not circumcised because of pressures from the Judaizers, the Jewish Christians. He was circumcised as a concession to the unbelieving Jews that he was trying to reach. And this was in keeping with Paul's attitude. When in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, For although I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. 
to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. So he, he became a Roman to the Romans, he became a Jew to the Jews, a Greek to the Greeks. He was just interested in reaching them with the gospel. And as long as those things did not impact primary doctrine and moral things, as long as those things that he was uh, condescending or, or making a concession with were in secondary matters, Paul was saying, I'll do anything and everything that I can to reach to you. And then we read quickly, and we read in verse 5 and 6 of the, of the results of the beginning of the missionary journey. The last two verses tell us that Paul was going in Silas and now Timothy were going through the cities and, and that they delivered the decrees to keep. They were giving the, the results or, the, or the, the, the decree that was promulgated by, by the, the, the council of churches in Jerusalem and they which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem and the churches were being strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily and again Luke often reminds us of this I think six times in the book of Acts he tells us he gives us this this marker in the middle and he says and the churches were growing daily the gospel was going out the the agenda the plan of Christ to the world to the ends of the world was being accomplished so let me draw a few Conclusions from this passage. This is more of a text by way of explanation and now the text by way of application to us as believers. I think I have three, uh, three lessons or three applications that this text teaches us. The first application is that this passage highlights the importance of good testimony for the exercise of ministry. Timothy and Silas as well, going with Paul, we are told that both of them had the same quality, that both of them had a good testimony in the church and outside of the church. Acts 16 verse 2 says he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And if you turn back to Acts 15.22, 15.22, we are said that, well, we see that Silas was one of the men that pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church uh, in a, to send. Both of them were men of good reputation, and Paul is happy to recruit them on this matter. In Acts 6, verse 3, we read that he was of good reputation. 16 verse, or Acts 6, verse 3, we read that good reputation is the first cri criteria for diaconal ministry. Men of good reputation were to be chosen amongst the church when there was a, a division there. And again, if you, if you turn to the, to the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy... A few years later after this event, he says uh, in chapter 3, and he gives them the qualifications of an overseer, the qualifications of, of, of a deacon. And Paul emphasizes again and again that they are to be blameless. Verse 2, verse 10, and in verse 7 we read as well that he, he, they, they must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside 
lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. They might say, but I'm not going for ministry. Well, the qualifications of an overseer and of a deacon are actually the qualifications that every Christian believer should strive for. It's often been said, and it is true, that all of these things are just meant to, to be the, the qualifications or the, or the qualities that every Christian should strive to have. So let us take that into account. The second lesson it's perhaps the main lesson that I want to draw from. Let me give you the second, turn this around. As we are talking about ministry as well, let me give you this lesson um, or this, this application. Do you notice the sacrifice that was for Timothy to serve? The sacrifice that he made for the sake of the gospel. He did not need to undergo physical pain to serve the Lord. He did not need to undergo physical uh, Pain to, to serve the Lord. He was free from having to be, to be circumcised. He was under the New Testament. He did not need to, to do this. But he submitted himself. Freely, without compulsion. He submitted himself to the recommendation of Paul. For the sake of the lost. You see... We are all free. I think Martin Luther, and I'm paraphrasing here, he, he said that the Christian man is the freest of all. Nothing, we're no, under no law to constrain us. But at the same time, he's the servant of all. Being the freest of all, we are the servants of all. Christian liberty, Timothy understood that his liberty was not meant to be exercised to hurt others or to confuse or to shock others. But he used and exercised this Christian liberty. The fact that he could indeed be circumcised and he, wasn't, he wouldn't be in sin if he would be circumcised to help those that were lost. I think there is something about this sacrifice that we should all learn from. As we want to serve the Lord, do we put ourselves first? Do we put our Christian liberty first and use our Christian liberty to badge over others over the head, to shock others into falling? Romans 14, Paul says. Or do we use our Christian freedom to serve others? I think we should consider... Something of Timothy's example in the way that we serve. The willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, to undergo even physical pain. The willingness to put our own well-being aside for the well-being of others. And thirdly and lastly, the, the main lesson, that's the lesson which, with which I started this, this sermon, is the lesson that we need and we should and we ought and we have to be firm on those biblical principles that we are given. But on the other hand, on matters that are adiaphora, on matters that are morally and spiritually uh, indifferent, we are to be as reeds. 
as Christ's disciples, as Paul said to Titus uh, in his letter, we are to hold firm to the gospel, to the faithful word. We are to govern our lives and our conducts and our church practices on the basis of revealed principles. And to be firm on those, to not give an inch on those. But on the other hand, we must also have wisdom and prudence to make compromises, not on matters, biblical matters. People will use this text to try and justify abandoning biblical principles and abandoning the things that are given to us uh, as, a, as a matter of doctrine and dogma. But on matters that are secondary, on matters that are at the Afro, we must be willing to compromise. We must be willing to, to lay uh, open our open up our hands and say that's not a matter of biblical principle we must learn from Paul Paul's example is so illuminating he was vehemently opposed to circumcision because when it was a matter and a condition of salvation as a requirement for salvation but then for Timothy he saw that his uncircumcision, that the fact that Timothy was uncircumcised was a, a hindrance to the missionary work. So he said, go, get circumcised. For you is no problem. It's not going to impact your salvation. You're, you're saved already. But because it's going to be a problem for you, for you to get into those, to those circles, because people will look at you and judge you for those, just get circumcised. And Timothy goes, yeah, I will. That's fine. I'm not doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing it, uh, uh, well, he got circumcised for the Lord, but he's not, he was not doing it in order to merit anything. He just understood, yeah, actually, since I'm free to do, to do whatever I want with this regard, I'll do it for the sake of my brethren, for the sake of the Jews. And Paul says the same thing, not with regards to circumcision, to regards with food sacrifice to idols. In both uh, his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians uh, from chapter 8 to chapter 10, and in Romans 14, he says exactly the same thing. That Christians, we are to exercise our Christian freedom, our God-given Christian freedom, to do whatever we please, and not have our consciences be, be bound by uh, rules and, and, and uh, edges that other Christians have, have tried to set upon us, that are not biblical, that we are free to do those things. Yet, Paul says, we are to use that freedom to serve others. So if your brother is going to uh, stumble because you are eating, yes, you are free to eat food sacrificed to idols. But if your weaker brethren will, will stumble because you do that, you better refrain from doing it. That's a biblical principle. That actually is a biblical principle. That is not adiaphora. Serving others with our Christian freedom. Not to scandal our brothers. Not to uh, cause them to stumble. Of course you can eat meat. But is it wise for you to eat meat? Paul would say no. Use your freedom to help others, to strengthen others. And he does, and Paul is not being wishy-washy here. In, in Romans 14, he actually calls those who, who would be scandalized and would stumble because of this, the wicked brethren. He's not saying, oh, it, both 
views are equally valid. No, he's saying there's a, a strong uh, Christian, the one that understands his Christian freedom, and there's a weaker Christian, the one that is still, still a little bit holed up with legalism. He's a weaker Christian, but the stronger Christian is meant to serve the weaker Christian with those things. And we see Paul doing this, uh, and there's a, uh, well, let me say this. There is a certain sense that some of these things with circumcision uh, are, are also a fruit of its context here. I don't think there would be any, any good point, of, I assume, for any Christian now to, to be circumcised just to reach out to the Jews. But at this moment, there was this transition period between the the Old Testament uh, ritual and the New Testament uh, church, and things were still uh, a little bit muddied in the middle, gray in the middle. So we see disciples meeting at the temple at the beginning of Acts. In fact, Paul, uh, in Acts 20, he is still living in the, uh, or still going and, and performing some religious r rituals in the temple. So there is a, a certain sense that because we're living in this transition, Things are still not quite uh, established correctly. But Paul did understand that they, he was no longer under the law. He was no longer under the, the law, uh, ceremonial law. At a later point in uh, Paul's life, the Judaizers, the Judaizers were the, the Jewish Christians, they tried to get Titus to be circumcised. And Paul, again, was opposed to it. He faced them off. He said, no, he's not going to be circumcised. Because the, Paul understood that what they were trying to do was in, infringe or impinge on the salvation or, or say that in order to be a member of the kingdom, you need to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, you don't. And no, you won't be circumcised. So how does this apply for us today? Sadly, or we also face questions of legalism. We also face questions of... Uh, individual uh, infringement on individual consciences of Christians in our churches. Churches have often, and I'm sad to say that in our circles more often than not, have imposed extra-biblical uh, tests of orthodoxy, extra-biblical rules in place. Things that should be adiaphora, we've made them to be for primary doctrinal uh, church membership uh, requirements. Let me give you a few examples. Whether you drink or, or not drink alcohol. Where is it in, in Scripture? Where, whether, uh, whether you, how you dress or how you don't dress. I know there are uh, recommendations and, and all of that. Whether you go to the films or to the cinema whether you, you listen to this sort of music or that sort of music, whether or not you do all these sort of things, there are actually matters of Christian freedom, but we actually treat them as they are matters of salvation. If you do it, you're certainly not saved. 
Isn't that, isn't that legalistic? We must wrestle with our own indifferent matters today. Many things, you know the, the story in, uh, is it Judges? The, the story of how they, the, the people were able to distinguish between uh, um, if they were of their, of their tribe or not. It was the, the Shibboleth, how they pronounced Shibboleth. So there was a people who, who pronounced Shibboleth with a sh, and they were, and the other people wasn't able to produce the, the sh sound, and they said Sibboleth, and that was the test to find out if you're a, one of ours or not. And we have all these kinds of Shibboleths in our in our in our church practices today. All these tests of orthodoxy, orthodoxy, which are in fact indifferent. Or oh, which Bible translation do you use? Oh, you, you use the AV. Oh, good, good man. Or oh, you use the AV. Oh, you're, you're one of those Christians. It doesn't matter which side of, of the argument you are. Which, which kind of chairs does your church have? Which kind of hymn books? Which kind of, uh, of, of uh, instruments do you have? Which kind of worship are, is being used? And, and all of it as a test of orthodoxy, if you're a Christian or not a Christian. Do you sing psalms only? What about female head coverings? Oh, you don't, you don't impose those. Oh, you're a, you're a wishy-washy Christian. Yeah, I don't even think you are a Christian. You can go both sides. We can do it to others, and others can do it to us as well, right? And we're not exercising any wisdom, any Christian freedom wisdom. In these matters... And I'll finish by saying this. In these matters, knowing when to yield to tradition out of convenience for the gospel and when to insist on not doing so is as vital as it, is for, as it was for the apostle and circumcision. You know me. I love tradition. I love the history, the richness of singing psalms that have been, uh, singing hymns that have been sung through centuries. Some of our, the, the hymns we have have been sung by Christians for more than a thousand years. And I love the, 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 this, that we sing the same hymns, that we are in the same line, that we are connected in some way uh, with them. I love the traditions of having things uh, have, uh, being well thought out. But when our traditions become hindrances for our reaching out, and I'm saying traditions, I'm not saying biblical principles, we should pause and think about it. I'll read to you the quote by Martin Luther again. Now as concerning faith, we ought to be invincible and more hard, if it might be, than the adamant stone. But as touching love... We ought to be soft, more flexible than the reed or leaf that is shaken with the wind and ready to yield to everything. Brothers I, and sisters, I don't know the answer to many of the questions of, of practices to these things. But what I know is that God gives, gives us when, discernment and he gives us wisdom to know when to act like Paul in similar matters. So let us pray that the Lord would indeed give us that discernment to know those things and to 